The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. I too want to welcome you this Easter Sunday morning, this Resurrection Sunday. And uh, if you've just joined us today and you haven't been with us, we've just started studying the book of Hebrews together. And in the book of Hebrews, we find these definitions of who Jesus is. And in chapter 1, the writer wants us to know that Jesus is completely 100% God. And in chapter 2, where we are, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there and find the Hebrews chapter 2, we discover that Jesus is completely 100% human as well. Um, as you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, let me tell you a story that I heard one time about a guy that heard that there were going to be tremendous rains in uh, his town and it was going to cause flooding and very serious flooding. And he was a Bible-believing man. He believed in God. And so he, he prayed and he asked if God would rescue him. And he, he felt like he had a word from the Lord that God said, I, I will indeed rescue you. And uh, certainly the rains came and the water started to come up and got about a foot deep. And down his uh, street came a fire truck and they had the loudspeaker going and they said, everybody that needs to get out, jump on the fire truck, we'll get you out of here. And when they got to his house, they said, come on, jump on, we'll rescue. And he said, no, he said, God's going to rescue me. He told me that. Well, it continued to rain and the floods got worse and it got up to about four or five feet. He was sitting there on the edge of his house and some guys came by in boats and they said, hey, we're going down through here uh, rescuing people. Jump in the boat and we'll rescue you. And he said, no, he said, I don't need to be rescued. He said, God told me he would rescue me. Well, the floods got worse and worse. He was holding on to the chimney at the peak of his house and the water was right up to his, right up to his jaw. And a helicopter came over and they dropped down a rope ladder and, and they yelled down. They said, grab the rope ladder and we'll rescue you. And water was right here. And he said, no, God's going to rescue me. And he died in the flood. He believed in the Lord. So when he got to heaven and he opened his eyes and he found he was in heaven and he saw the Lord there and he said, Lord, I said, don't get me wrong. He said, I'm happy to be in heaven, but I, I was pretty sure you told me you were going to rescue me. And the Lord said, I sent a fire truck and a boat and a helicopter. I don't know what more you wanted. Now, it's a silly story that kind of teaches us that sometimes common sense is the way to understanding God's will. Uh, but this morning, I tell the story for a different reason. I tell the story because I believe it's possible for some of you in this room that this sermon is your helicopter. I think for many of you in this room, God's been trying to get your attention. He's been speaking to you. You know something about God. You know something about Jesus. But in reality, you haven't lived for him. You haven't given your life to him. And at each juncture of your life, God's been giving you an opportunity to rescue your soul. And it's possible for some of you in this room that this sermon is your helicopter. This might be your last chance. God's one more time saying to you, I want you to consider my son Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, Beginning in verse 14, here's what the writer speaks of, about, uh, speaks of Jesus about his 
death and burial and resurrection. He says, since therefore the children, speaking of us, the children of God, share in flesh and blood, because that's what we are. We are very human. We are flesh and blood. Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That's the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In verse 16, he says, Surely it's not angels that he helps. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, Jesus had to be like his brothers in every respect. Here it is once again in Scripture. God telling us, yes, Jesus was completely 100% God, but he was just like you and me in every respect. He was 100% human He goes on and it says, through his death and burial and resurrection, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. It's a a great big theological word. It means to give God satisfaction, to make payment for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. I want to suggest to you, that in this passage, in the, and certainly in all of the New Testament Scripture and all of the New Testament teaching, there are at least five evidences, five proofs of why it is that Jesus became a human, why it is that he was born into this world, why he took on flesh and blood. And, and we know that even though it begins with the Christmas story and that he was born of a virgin, it certainly culminates in the Easter story. And, and when you read it in the New Testament, you'll discover that after it happened, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus would forever be clumped together as one event. Certainly, a, certainly the, the death was three days before the resurrection, but the writers would always speak of it as a unit, and they, and they came to call the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus the gospel. The, the word gospel means good news. And it certainly is good news that Jesus Christ would go to the cross and do for us what he did, and that he wouldn't stay dead, that he would prove that he was God and he had the power to do what he said he could do by coming back to life, by his resurrection. So here are the five things that I I think we should see in this passage. First of all, Jesus was born to destroy sin. When we come to an understanding of what sin really is, we understand that every single person from Adam, Adam and Eve, all the way to this present day, every single one of us, when when our chance came, when we got old enough to know right and wrong, and there was a fork in the road, and we knew this was right and this was wrong, every single person on the planet, except for Jesus, we all chose wrong. In fact, some of us have chosen wrong so frequently we can't remember very many times when we chose right. And, and, and the problem for modern Americans is that fundamentally we, we don't really get this about sin. We don't really like to talk about sin. In fact, whenever Americans are surveyed about people, they always say, what do you think people are? Are, peace, are people basically bad or are people basically good? And we always say, every time Americans are surveyed, we always say, people are basically good. That's why you locked your car in the parking lot of a church on Easter Sunday morning, right? Because people are basically good. And your house is locked as well. And you might have a security system as well. 
And when you call your bank or your credit card company, they have security questions as well. All because people are basically good, aren't they? If you just want one determination of whether or not people are basically good, just drive the roundabouts on Shiloh. You see, even, even though we want to believe people are basically good, we know in our heart of hearts they are not. And this is, our, this is our struggle with the Easter story, with the crucifixion to the resurrection. We really get to the place where we think, well, Jesus didn't really have to die for my sins. He could have just been injured for my sins. He didn't have to die for my sins. My sins aren't that bad. We're quick to think, well, I, I mean, I told a lie or two. I mean, little white lies. I didn't, I, I'm really, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed a bank. I'm not that bad. And yet, what the Scripture says about the heart of man, the Old Testament prophet says, the heart is deceitfully wicked, so much so, who can even understand it? What are the headlines for the world today? Chemical warfare in Syria? A, a dictator who gassed his own people? Human trafficking? Sex trafficking? We're, we live in a time of wars and rumors of wars. Is it because we're basically good? No, we're, we're not. You're not, and I'm not. And so Jesus was born into this world to do what nobody else could do, to destroy the power of sin. And he lived a perfect life and he never sinned. And then he went to the cross to make, remember that big word, that big theological word, propitiation? He went to the cross to make satisfaction for it. The wages of sin is death. So he died. He died on the cross as the payment for my sin and your sin. But, but not just your sins. This is what I want you to understand. For your sinfulness. For the fact that you and I live in a state of sinfulness. That's why he died. The scripture says, He made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Here's the most incredible thing. He didn't just forgive you of your sins. He destroyed sin. When God the Father looks at you, if you're a believer and you've asked Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, when God the Father looks at you through the shed blood of Jesus, he sees you as perfect, righteous, holy, never sinned. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's how he destroyed sin. Well, just a few moments ago, I, I quoted the verse. It's, it's from Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. So when he destroyed sin, he also, Jesus was born to destroy death. Because death comes because of our sin. Now, the way that he chose to destroy death is quite incredible. He didn't just come and live forever and never die. He destroyed the power of death by dying but not letting death hold him. Death couldn't have him. Death couldn't keep him. He rose again from the grave. In John chapter 11, Jesus has uh, these three friends that live in a city called Bethany. They're, they're, they're siblings. Their names are Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And Lazarus gets sick. And Martha and Mary know the Lord, and they know the Lord could heal him. And so they send word to Jesus to come 
and heal their brother Lazarus. And the scripture says in John 11 that Jesus purposely doesn't go until Lazarus dies. When he gets there, uh, Martha comes to him first, and, and quite honestly, she's, uh, she's blaming God. She's blaming Jesus. She says, if, you, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and I, probably every one of us who have lived any part of life and had any sorrow or any great loss, there's been some point where you've blamed God. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't like take it personal. He doesn't rebuke Martha. What he says to her is, Martha, he says, do you know that everyone who believes in me and dies, even though he dies, yet shall he live? And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die? And she doesn't understand, but she says, I believe. He says, I I want you to take me to the cemetery. And Martha takes Jesus to the cemetery. And then Jesus gives us this object lesson. Every now and then I meet people who go, yeah, I kind of believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But I don't know that I am going to be able to live forever. I don't know that Jesus has the power to forgive me of my sins so that I can live forever. He could do it for himself, but I I don't know if he could do it for anybody else. And so John chapter 11 is the object lesson. John chapter 11 is the proof. And so Jesus literally gets there and he says, Lazarus, come out. And and Lazarus comes back to life. And you, you know what kind of power Jesus has? I believe with all my heart the reason that Jesus had to say, Lazarus, if he'd have just said, come out, Everyone in the cemetery would have come back to life. I I want you to know that Jesus has power over death. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul, writing to that young pastor Timothy, he said, and what he did is he nailed our sins to the cross and he abolished death. Uh, Just think how great this would be. What if... uh, what if we get news tomorrow? Tomorrow's tax day, right? Because it fell on Saturday. So some of, you, some of you are just realizing that for the first time. Sorry. Um, so tomorrow's the day our taxes do. What if, what if the news tomorrow was that the United States government had abolished taxes? Would that feel good? Especially for those of you who don't have enough money to pay it tomorrow. That'd feel good, wouldn't it? Well, think about how good this feels. The Almighty God of the universe, it says in 1 Timothy, abolished death. You see, if you come to the cross and you ask for the forgiveness of sins and you give your life to Jesus, what he said to Martha is true. You will never die. God sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. So Jesus was born into flesh and blood to destroy sin. He was born to destroy death. But the scripture also says in verse 14, and to destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. He was born to destroy Satan. Satan was thrown out of heaven, one of the angels that sinned against God, and he was thrown to earth. And the scripture says that he's the the prince of the world. He's the one who's, who's really been in charge of this planet. And so Jesus Christ came into the into Satan's dominion. He came into the place where where there was power of evil. And in the face of that evil, in the face of temptation, in the face of suffering, in the face of torture, in the face of death, he lived a perfect life. And And he died for us. 
And then he rose again that he could overcome death. And then because he took away Satan's power. Once Satan doesn't have the power to tempt to sin, and once he doesn't have the wages of sin, which is death, he no longer has any power. Do, do you understand this? We, we function, many of us, we, we function outside of that. We kind of think, oh yeah, okay, when I die, that's when Jesus' power will really come into effect in my life. Because when I die, that's how I'll go to heaven. That's when I'll go to heaven. But Jesus' power is for you here and now. Satan's temptation, when he comes to you, all he's got left is intimidation. He's got smoke and mirrors. He's got some sleight of hand. He can do some magic tricks. But once you give your life to Christ, he no longer has any power over you. The Apostle John would say it this way, Greater is he that is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, than he that is in the world. Satan's death is absolutely assured. He's lost. The death and burial and resurrection was it. It's, it's completely done. All he can do at this stage is try to take as many to hell with him as he can, but he, he cannot win over God Jesus has accomplished that. In Colossians chapter 2, it said he canceled our debt by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed his spiritual enemies, and he triumphed over them. That's why the celebration of Easter is so fun. Christmas is great. God sent his Savior, but, but he was still a baby, and he still had all the work to do. Easter is the culmination of that work. Easter is when we know that the grave is empty. When we know he is who he said he was, and he can do what he said he could do. That's why Easter is so wonderful. Well, in this passage, there's another phrase here that's important for us. Not only was Jesus born to destroy sin and death and Satan, but he also says here in verse 15, and to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. I, I want to speak to those of you who've already given your heart and life to Christ, but you're not functioning within the power of Christ. What you're doing is you're living every day, well, like you always did, even before you came to Christ. You grit your teeth, you clench your fists, you set your jaw, and you work as hard as you can. And you just, you just try to grind it out. And you fail a lot of days, and so you cry and you ask for forgiveness. And then you just grind it out the next day. And you're just working as hard as you can work but without any supernatural power. This phrase here, when it says that Jesus Christ was born to destroy slavery, he's not just talking about human slavery or human trafficking or sex trafficking. He's talking about the fact that every single person on the planet who sins becomes a slave to that sin. Do you realize that every sin is by its nature addictive. Have you learned that yet? Every single one. We tend to talk about tobacco or alcohol, but those are just easy object lessons. Every sin, single sin is a slave. You can become a slave to sin. Lace potato chips, right? Chocolate cake. I mean, every single thing is addictive by its nature. It causes you to want more and more. Have you ever told a lie and then you had to tell a lie to cover the lie? And then you had to tell a lie to cover the lie that covers the lie? And then you've told so many lies you can't remember which ones are lies? Why, have you ever told a lie when it would have been better for you to tell the truth? Why would you do that? Because lying is by its nature addictive. And, and so 
we are reminded here that Jesus did something else for us. He didn't just die for us, rise from the grave and say, okay, good luck, I'll see you in heaven when you get there. Honestly, it would have been a pretty good deal, but that's not what he did. What he did was he said, I died for you. I was raised again for you to prove that I have the power to give you so that you don't have to sin. You don't have to listen to Satan. He doesn't have any power over you. He doesn't own you. I own you. You gave your life to me. I died and I ransomed your soul. I I bought it back from the devil. He doesn't own you. He can't tell you what to do. He can come and tempt you with sin, but that's the moment when you get to go, "I I don't have to do that anymore. In fact, the believer discovers when he's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you don't even want to do it anymore. The Apostle Paul says, the things that I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore. The things that I never want to do, I want to do all the time. What changed? His wanter changed. That's how you begin to win. Jesus Christ destroyed the slavery of sin for us as well. In John chapter 8, this is what he says. If the Son sets you free you will be free indeed. Well, all of this here comes to a kind of a final conclusion, a a summation, if you will. Jesus was born to destroy sin. He was born to destroy death. He destroys Satan. He destroys our slavery, our addiction to sin. But Jesus was born to save you. This is the part of the sermon that I alluded to at the very beginning maybe this is your helicopter. Maybe you're here and one more time God is saying to you, hey, reach up. Take the rope. Take salvation. Take Jesus. Give your life to me. He's saying to you, I have come to save you. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had had all this criticism from the very religious, self-righteous people who said, oh, Jesus spends all his time hanging out with sinners. In response to that, he said, those that are well don't need a doctor. We're the ones who are sick. The sin has created a disease of the soul of man that can only be cured by the forgiveness of God. And God wants to to save you. In this same book where we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 7, he says, God is able to save you to the uttermost. It's a funny word, isn't it? You know, you probably didn't use uttermost last week in any of your conversations. Here's what the word means. When he says he's able to save you to the uttermost, the first part of it means he's able to save you to whatever the depth, the uttermost depth of your sin is. There's some of you that are sitting here and, and you might be thinking, Paul, you don't even know me. I, I, I've done some really bad things. And I don't have to know you because I know God's word and God doesn't lie. And God says to you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how evil you've been. It doesn't matter how many bad choices you've made. I am able to save you to the uttermost. Isn't that really the picture of the, of the salvation of the thief on the cross? That moment where he didn't, he didn't give God any of his life, his whole life long. It ends in the sentence of capital punishment, and Jesus Christ saves him at that very moment. Why? Because he had done good? Because he'd given the church a lot of money? Because he'd gone to church every week? No, he hadn't done any of those things. He just turned to God by faith. 
and repentance. And God is able to save us to the depth of our sins. Uttermost not only means to the depth of however bad you've been, it means for the length of however long you've lived. You see, when, when you see these little ones, sometimes you see these little guys in church, and you think, oh, if I was, man, if I was five or six or seven or eight or nine, I'd give my life to Christ, and wouldn't it be great? I could start all over again. My answer to you and that thinking is, you're never going to be any younger than you are today. You're not going to be able to go back. But however long you've lived in sin, he's able to save you to the uttermost. And to the young one who still has their whole life ahead of them, I would be able to say he's able to save you to the uttermost that way. You see, the uttermost means that way and that way and that way and that way. In Romans chapter 8, he says, what will separate us from the love of God? Not height, nor depth, or any creation on earth. No, in all these things, it says in verse 38, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know why Easter's so great? Easter's great because the tomb is empty and Jesus rose from the grave, but it means that we who trust in him are more than conquerors. My God. My grave isn't going to have me in it. Do you understand that? It'll have this old body, which I'm quite glad to get rid of and get the new one. I'm looking forward to the glorified body. But it isn't going to have me in it. I, my soul, the real me, lives forever in heaven. That's what Easter means for every one of us. He destroyed sin. Say amen. He destroyed death. Amen? Amen. He destroyed Satan. That wasn't as good, but okay. He destroyed your slavery to sin. And he came to save you. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit of God made sure that you were here because this sermon is your helicopter? He's been trying to get your attention over and over again. He wants to rescue your soul. He wants you to have the forgiveness of sin. He wants you to have everlasting life. And up to now, you haven't said yes. Why not today? You know what the Bible says on one occasion, talking about salvation? It says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Why would you put it off? Why would you procrastinate? What happens if you're not here next Easter? What happens if something happens in your life? Cancer, heart attack, car wreck. Scripture also says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring forth, but you're here now, faced with the good news, the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth. He was born into this world just to save you. Why not say yes to him? If you're sitting there in the stillness of your own heart, and you're ready to come to the Lord, you could pray a very simple prayer like the one that I'll pray out loud. It could go like this, dear Lord. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that's why you came to this world and why you went to the cross. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Destroy my sin. Destroy the wages of sin. Give me everlasting life. Here today, April 16, in Billings, Montana, I give my life to you. And the best that I know how from this day forward, I'll live for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. No one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. We wouldn't do that for the world. 
But if you prayed that prayer with me as I prayed it out loud, would you just lift your hand up and then you put it right back down? Say, Paul, I prayed that prayer. Yes, I see that. God bless you. Yes, yes. Others, any others? Just lift your hand up and you put it right back down. Yes, God, I see you. God bless you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer. You've already prayed that prayer. You know that heaven is yours. But you've been kind of stuck with that addiction of sin thing. You've been grinding it out in your own strength. And today you need resurrection power. Today you need Jesus Christ to destroy the slavery to sin. And you would just lift your hand and say, Paul, pray for me. I'm rededicating my life here this morning. Yes, God bless you. Yes, yes. So many all across the room. Yes, God bless you. Father, this morning you've seen our hearts. Uh, You know everything about us. We stand naked before you. We couldn't lie to you anyway because you know everything about us. And so we come to you in sincerity and faith. We ask you to do this work in our lives. Father, for these who have prayed and asked you to come into their heart and life today, I pray that you would rush in by the power of your Holy Spirit, move them from death to life, and let them have the certainty of their salvation, that heaven is their eternal home. Father, for these who have been struggling with some sin and not realizing that Satan no longer has power over them. I pray that today, instead of, instead of grinding it out themselves, they would receive your power, that you've conquered the grave, you've beat their sin, and they would receive you, that you've set them free from their sin. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would begin to live like every single day is Resurrection Sunday. Why can't tomorrow be Resurrection Monday and Tuesday be Resurrection Tuesday? We give you our lives, new and afresh, to live in the power of your resurrection. And we pray this in the most precious and holy name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. When the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the young pastor Titus, he was writing encouragement to him. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 11 of the book of Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's a beautiful passage because he actually calls Jesus the grace of God. He's talking about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so because of that then, he says this to us beginning in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory and the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one other truth to Easter that I haven't mentioned yet this morning. If Christ came the first time, he most certainly did. And if he was willing to go to the cross to destroy sin and death and Satan, he most certainly did. Then he's going to come the second time. Easter's the, it says in Ephesians, it's the down payment. Christ returns. But the second time he returns, he doesn't come as the suffering servant. He doesn't come as the Lamb of God. He comes as the Lion of God. He comes as the Judge of all the earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And how do you know? Because he's always done what he said he would do. And when he said, I will lay down my life for you and take it back up again, he did that. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, He's gone to do that. And I will return and receive you unto myself. So Easter is a day to look backwards at the cross and the empty tomb. But it's a day to look forward at the blessed hope, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that, 
Have a blessed resurrection. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.